Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome back to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. My name is Dan Carson. I'm thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue the conversation about student ministry. Now, on today's podcast, I have Ian Dunaway with me, and we're going to be talking about creative outreach ideas and, and ways to end up with those. And so we're excited about this conversation. Uh, Ian is with G6 Allies. He's going to share a little bit about that as well. But on today's podcast, I want to just thank you for listening, for being a part of these conversations as we talk about things and ways that we can impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Now, I would be remiss if I didn't mention our podcast partner, Central Baptist College of Conway. Central Baptist College is challenging, engaging, and inspiring. There's one of those places that you love for your students to go because they are going to be Christ-focused on whatever field of study they're looking at. So whether they are looking at a lifetime of ministry, whether they want to be a teacher, an accountant, or whatever area, they're going to learn about Jesus along the way. So have them check it out at CBC. Dot edu. Again, that is cbc.edu. Well, again, uh, Ian Dunaway is our guest today. Ian has served as a student pastor or college pastor in Georgia, Alabama, Louisiana. He's been the editor of the Bible Studies for Life students at Lifeway Christian Resources. He's a teaching pastor at G6 Church, and he is the director of ministry for G6 Allies. Welcome to the podcast, Ian. It's great to be here, Dan. That's a, that's a mouthful, isn't it? It is a mouthful, but you know, I've got all those weird titles on my name as well. And so it's just a lot of fun. I love this podcast. We've been able to connect with just some some great people, and I'm excited about our conversation today. Some of the things that's not mentioned on here is is your family and where you, you're at today. Where do you live at? Yeah, I live in Owasso, Oklahoma. And if you're not anywhere near Oklahoma, it's essentially 15 minutes away from Tulsa and the Tulsa Metroplex. Wife, kids? Well, I've got one wife, so that's that's always a win, right? That is a win. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my wife, Hannah, and I have been married for, uh, we're going on eight years now, and we have a beautiful baby boy, uh, our first boy, and uh, he is named Elias. And so he's he is about 16 months old now, and just, man, it is, you know, you know as a student pastor, you're going to want to be a dad one day, you work with parents and kids, but it's, you always look forward to, to loving your kids as much as the people that you, you know, and I, I guess we just did ministry for really, I've done ministry now for about 17 years and I just should have been quicker to have kids <laughs> now that I've had them. I wish I had it done it earlier, but he, he is absolutely, we love him to death. Well, there are some challenges being a parent and being in student ministry, but it's well worth it. Absolutely. Um, I loved having my kids in my youth group and mm. again, challenges, but a whole lot of fun <laughs> along the way. Um, as we worked through all those things. Ian, let me ask you, one of the ways that we love to get to know our guests a little bit better is for them to tell us their salvation story. How did you come to meet Jesus? Oh, wow. That's a great one. And and I should have said this earlier. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Oh, you bet. Um, no, I, so I gave my life to Christ and, and it played so much into what I feel like I'm gifted to do in ministry and kind of where my passion's at. But I was I was one of those kids that uh, grew up in a Southern Baptist church, and I think I got saved three or four times. So, you know, we didn't get baptized that many times, uh, but some of those, sometimes those churches, you know, go for that too. So we we were, but I think when I was about six years old, um, I walked an aisle, I, I prayed a prayer, and, you know, I don't usually, anymore, I don't use the term saved a lot, but it's not, nothing wrong with it. I just used it a lot growing up. And so I, I asked that question, from six years old to 12 years old, every time a speaker would come in, anytime something would happen, I'd be like, am I saved? I don't know if I'm saved. I did some bad things. And I, you know, I just struggled with that. And I think that especially when student, we all know this as student pastors and, and family pastors, that um, the more that your kids are in church, is it's better for your family, but it also, it's, an, it's connecting you and engaging you to ask those questions. And so mm, yeah. uh, I was always in church and 
that was just a, it was a great, great time in my life. I had a good family that, that raised me and were consistent. Um, but when I was about 12 years old, so when I was in sixth, first year in sixth grade, I went to middle school camp. And uh, the church that I went to usually did big camps with big numbers of kids. And I remember, so when I look back on it, it's really weird. And, and this wasn't until a few years ago that I realized this, but we did our middle school camp or sixth or eighth grade camp at a Motel 6 convention center in Dallas, Texas. <laughs> and, and this was not the Tom Bodat era where it was like, I'll leave the light on for you. And it was good. This was <laughs> the but it's a Motel 6. And it reminds me that I'm pretty sure something just went horribly wrong in planning. And they, you know, and I, as a kid, I never knew. So I'm pretty sure it was like, well, somebody canceled or some campground burned down. So, so we go there and like every day, and for me as a kid, it was great. Cause it was like, we're going to six flags this day. We're doing hurricane Harbor this day. We went to Dave and Buster's. Um, but they, but if you can just imagine the setting here, it was staying in the rooms with our, with our leaders um, and our groups and then going to this. And I, I kid you not, I would sit in this room and there were like air conditioning vents hanging out of the ceiling and it was terrible. So a serial killers convention is the only thing I think that would be suitable for. Um, but we, we, uh, we were sitting there and, and I think I always did audio and sound and, and did the tech staff as a kid volunteering. And, and I remember sitting there and we would do worship in the, in the morning and the evening. And man, that last night, uh, it was when God just gets a hold of you, he gets a hold of you. And I, you know, he speaks, I always use the term that he speaks on our own bandwidth. And so I had done a lot of, of work to try. I was that kid that knew all the Sunday school answers that teachers would say, Shh, be quiet, let other people answer. And, and so I just thought I must be good. I was a really good Pharisee. And I just remember in that moment, um, and I can't remember who it was a really goofy analogy, but the guy that was, that was speaking at camp, he said, I, I want you to put an elevator on your shoulder. And he said, I just want you to drop that thing down and I want you to open it up and I want you to tell me what you see. And all I could think about was, I don't see anything. I'm like, there's nothing there. And I don't, I don't know Christ. And so, you know, my parents had a rule that I think is a great rule. And this, if this rule were for normal fam normally for families in church, we'd have no need for student ministry volunteers. But my parents believed that if we went to camp, they just needed to go with us. Didn't have to be our leaders, just wanted to be at camp around their kids. And I, as a kid, I just, I realized in that moment, I said, I don't know Jesus. There's nothing in me that's a Jesus. And I'm just a really good Pharisee. I'm a really good game player. And uh, I was, I was a big 130 pound sixth grade kid and real tall. And I was walking back to my dad, just blubbering, just like, I need to know Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even in the, the craziness of that moment, also the sweetness of, of, of my dad getting to lead his son to Christ. And so that was that was the moment that I gave my life to Christ was at a at a Motel Six in Dallas, Texas, with a, with two hundred middle school kids. Uh, that is a great story because you're never going to forget where you were when that happened, ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, Ian. You know, after that moment, um, you're talking about being about twelve when that happened. Mm -hmm. Who invested in your life during those high school years? Well, uh, I had a man named Kurt Coulter who was absolutely instrumental in my life. It's one of the reasons I was so passionate about student ministry later on is the deep impact you can make with students in, in that age and that, that teenage, you know, those teenage years. And so I had, uh, good student pastors who let me hang out and annoy them in their office and let me go to do things with them. And I, I would pick their brains. They do Bible studies. And then I, I had one group leader and, I remember it was about, you know, I always talk about there's this, there's this point where you give your life to Christ. And then usually if you're an adult, I would imagine it's, it, hopefully it's quicker, but there's that lag of when you really start owning your faith. Mm, and my yeah. parents were very big about saying, uh, I kind of based my whole life, my ministry, everything about who I am is on Philippians two and Colossians three, that, um, I have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling because it's that important, but it's mine to own and to understand and that everything I do reflects Christ. So do everything as if it were to him. And so I, I started to get a sense of that in about ninth grade. And uh, Kurt was just absolutely instrumental in my life in my teenage years, because I think that this, get how crazy this is, but we sat around a table and we would have table. We did kind of the master teacher format, right? Where you had tables and then you had a guy come up and speak. And then we'd discuss, speak, discuss. It's a great, great method for doing it. 
but we sit around the table and I, what we had just, we were two weeks into groups, I think why you would ever talk about purity or anything to do with purity. I have no idea. And so, but at one point our leader, and I was a church kid that grew up around church kids. And so you have all the thoughts and sometimes you don't, don't say the things that you want to say or, but you're always, you don't ever just be honest in church, right? We struggle to talk about the hard things and to talk about the icky things. And that was always, and I had this leader just, he, he shared some really clear stuff about how he had, he had known Christ growing up in church. And then he had really strayed for about three years. And he, and he would say, you know, when God spanks, he spanks hard. He, I won't for now that I've used his name, tell the exact story for, for respect for him on a podcast. But when he, he made a statement about sexual morality and about following Jesus and about how that had impacted his life. And the moment he said that this whole group of ninth grade guys, second week, knowing this guy, all just went, uh, <laughs> we just got to look around like, are we allowed to talk about that stuff in church? And that was this, this <laughs> thought. And it was that moment because it, the thing is so many, I don't know if parents tend to feel this way, but I was thankful that I, mine didn't. You've got to have more healthy voices than just your parents speaking into your life. It's got to be a partnership between investment. That's why that's why it's so, you know, so many families, it's a struggle now, but they they say, well, I got coaches at the ball field and I got some adults. Well, that's great, but you don't know where those guys are at spiritually and you don't know where those people, and they only see them for so long. And so the fact that you would have a church family where I knew my parents could know and trust that this, and, and sure, there are breaches of trust at different times. So, I mean, with a grain of salt, but that these, she, they knew that leaders and student pastors were reiterating the same values and truths. And when they didn't reiterate the same things we agreed in, it, it was a catalyst for discussion. And so Kurt was one of those men that just deeply impacted me because he was as real as it got. And he cut through the, he cut through the mask, he cut through the frivolity. And I remember that by the time I got to 11th grade, so I'd been with him about three full years at that point, um, I was approached by one of our pastors. In fact, you he's passed away now, but you I believe you interviewed his wife. It was Chris Swain who came up to me and he was the middle school pastor at the time. Took a ter- It was a terrible decision on his part. Um, but he said, <laughs> he said, you're about a senior now. Do you think you could pour into some kids into sixth graders? And I don't know why. It was an awful ministry decision, but he went with it. And and it really stuck. And I mean, I made a kid cry my second weekend, uh, but God was gracious. And I'm actually doing, I'm doing one of those, I've done two of those guys' weddings in the last couple of years. And, um, but God, that moment, it was a moment where Kurt's pouring into me and these pastors pouring into me and wanting us to step up and to lead, but not leadership, maybe from a, from a pedestal standpoint, just from a do what you know is right, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, it really inspired and pushed me to be willing and to want to go and share my faith and disciple. So after that great experience you had uh, during high school years, how did you know for sure that God wanted you to serve in ministry? Oh, I did not. Uh, So I I actively did not want to. (laughs) So I had watched, uh, I had a family member who was in church, not, not a pastor, but in church and got severely burned. And at one point, and I, and my family, it was really weird. We had a family that people would come up and I, not to me, but when I was a kid, they would tell my mom, we just sat around at this youth leader's house for a while. And we started talking about what's it like to grow up at the Dunaway home. And all of us are like, there's a lot of yelling. Uh, some people get real mad. I don't, I mean, I don't know. It's probably, we eat some food. I, it was just a weird statement. But we got to see a lot of the behind the curtain stuff. Like my parents were involved and my dad was the guy that went and did the pre, pre-mission trip stuff. And that when qu- traveling choirs were real big, he would go with the student guy and he'd help him do the logistics and all that. And so we saw a lot behind the curtain. And I think when I saw the, the burn happen, um, and I didn't actively think about this. I just, it was just never, I knew that I always wanted to serve and teach students because I knew that so many of them grow up without ever really dealing with real topics and issues. It's just look really good and then move on. And that's, that's what we watch so much of the fallout of, of the yeah. last few generations. Yeah. I wanted people to challenge me big time. And so, and I wanted to challenge students. And so, man, I, though I had those boys, um, those young men, men now with families that I poured into for about five, four or five, six years. And then I would teach Bible studies and do those things. But 
you know, bringing all of that full circle, I, I wanted to be a history professor. So I got a, a history degree. I absolutely love history. I graduated in early from college because I just went year round. I took, I think, 22 hours a semester was was eight, 19 or 20 was my average. But um, I grew up a homeschool kid. So hopefully you can't if you can't tell we've done our job. But uh, there weren't a lot of scholarships 15 years ago for homeschoolers at college. And so when, when we went, my dad just said, I'm going to pay for your college, but I'm not rich. And so I need you to work real hard to get out as fast as you can. And, and I did. But my last class was uh, seminar and, and history, and I loved it. But there was this moment, and I always talk about how God threw this divine curveball. Because my last semester of college, I had worked so hard and gotten ready to get my history degree and to move on. And he said, well, the thing I've, the thing I wrote my dissertation on for six years was uh, Nome, Alaska during the post-American imperialist era and how it affected Japanese people in Alaska. And I was like, oh, even I don't want to read that. Like, <laughs> and, Oh man. And more power to him. That was, that was not God, God placing value on somebody's work. That was God telling me that was not going to be my work. And I just went, I think I want to teach. I'm gifted to teach. I want to communicate and I want to do this, but I, I don't know if that's what I want to do. And, uh, and so when I, I graduated, not really knowing what was going on, I, I graduated though, just full of the entitlement that the world owed me for having a piece of paper that I didn't even pay for. And so when I got out, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do this and this and this, and I'm ready to go. Well, I got a job at a, at a lumber yard for minimum wage or a little over with a college degree. And God took about two years saying, Hey, I love you. And I got great plans for you. But if you can't scrub toilets for me and be okay with it, then you have no business doing anything else. Yeah. And, yeah. and about a year into that, I started, I knew I wanted to do, to do my master's. I knew that I wanted to keep schooling. And so I went to college, but I was trying to figure out which master's program to dive into. And I remember something that I'll never forget. My sister and brother-in-law told me, I said, I, what if I make the wrong decision? You know, that the same thing we always ask. And I was, I was struggling with this. And I just remember they said, Ian, here's the deal. Uh, most of the time we want God to tell us where to go, but most of the time he doesn't direct us until we start walking. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I said, well, I know that he wants me to, I know that I want to pursue this. He's given me a passion for it. So I'm just going to start. And when I look back on it, it would be very easy for most of us who always take the negative route to say, oh, maybe you made the wrong mistake and you've moved all these places. But the truth is when I went to step into this grad program in Chicago, um, the first class I had focused deeply on religious illiteracy and the illiteracy of our generation and God, not even a, it wasn't even a Christian that wrote the book. It was a Christian university. But in this, in this passage, in this book, I started reading it and God said, Hey, I know you thought that you were just going to be a volunteer, but you're going to teach students so that this is not, this is not a fault of yours and your generation. I want you to be a part of making sure that if they, even if they choose not to follow me, they at least know who I am. And that was, that was a pivotal turning spot. And that was six months into me jumping into that that master's course, um, I scrubbed toilets and I did inventory and I swept floors for another year and a half. Um, and in that time I was licensed, um, and prepared. And then God opened up the door to start interning. And even that took, you know, an internship and then six months and finally was able to step on somewhere full time for, uh, less money than my car payment cost. And yet somehow God, <laughs> God provided in that. And so that's a, it's a long story, but it was one of, you know, I, the, the truth is, everybody, we always ask the question, especially younger guys, well, I, I want God to call me, but I don't want to do this or do that. And, and right. that was such a false dichotomy because God, God gives you a heart to do what you're called to do. I didn't want to do it until I knew God had called me to do it. And then I was, that could, I never imagined myself doing anything else. And that was the, it was funny too, because I had family members that went, oh, it's about time. I was like, <laughs> what? They said, since you were single digit age, I knew you were going to be a pastor. And and it was just that moment that was so big. I think the the phrase was, if if you're called to ministry, you'll never be happy doing anything else. And I know there are different seasons and ebbs and flows, but in that moment, that rang rang very true for me. That I just I had offers to go do other this lumberyard. I was sweeping floors and scrubbing toilets uh, with regional vice presidents that came in and, and said, you know, you could be a area manager in like five years. And I'd say, I know, but I'm just called to ministry because and I I considered it deeply. 
<laughs> I was tired of doing what I was doing. But it, it, but I was at a point in my life for the first time where I got to choose what I was going to do. I didn't just have to make do. Right, and in right. that moment, God did that. I was listening just the other day to a podcast with Shane Perrett, and he mentioned that the idea of calling, it is, it, it's a burn the ship sort of thing. You know, you... You burn those ships, you're not going back, you're headed forward and whatever that looks like. And, and it's tough and sometimes it can be super challenging and you want to give up. But if God has called you, you really won't be happy doing anything else but serving in that way. And so I, I appreciate your story and I appreciate you sharing that with us. You know, we want to get to our, our topic today of some creative ideas for outreach as we seek to work with students. Uh, but let me let me start with this question. Why is it important for us to reach out to students in that seventh through twelfth grade age bracket? Well, I think I think seventh through twelfth grade is um, and and really you're kind of looking at like thirteen through through eighteen. Um, and so and that's such a I think that's such a pivotal age for for a few reasons. One, you are finally, well, hopefully, it seems like we're delaying adolescence more and more uh, the longer things go, but that adolescent period, you're finally at a place where you you can make decisions and you need to reason and you have to learn and you and and I just remember there that was the moment in life where I was safe to ask questions safe to make decisions and safe to you know my parents gave me more and more freedom and so there's a there's a certain proving ground and moldability at that age that and and a willingness to hear things i mean sure you've got your your regular cases but just developmentally that's a that for most students and most kids guys or girls, that's going to be the age where they start solidifying uh, who they are and what they believe. And so when we, it was, for me, it was so important to, when I stepped into student ministry that uh, because everything, I don't know, this is one of my favorite things. You're, I mean, you're asking a damn type question that's holding back water. And so I'm trying to figure out how to trickle that water out just right. Um, but some, behind all this pressure and this passion and what I've loved about it is that there's a moment where you can be incredibly real and open with students and raw with students in a way that you can't really be with anybody else. I mean, adults yeah. have so many pretensions built up and so many fears. Little kids are still, they're still learning the the foundations and the basics. And they're not even, most of the time they're not thinking through that. And that's a whole nother challenge in and of itself. That is it. My heart goes out to kids pastors. I, I couldn't do it because I'm not good enough to do it. And they're excellent at what they do. But when you get into student ministry, there's this, relationship on relationship moment where everything that happens to you in 13 to 18 is the end of the world or the biggest thing in the world. And whereas, you know, I see parents and we see people that they're like, oh, I can't, everything's so dramatic. I hate drama, but I go, it's so, it's so dramatic and it's so ridiculous. And I say, yeah, it is. And what an amazing moment for us as believers to always be pointing kids back to the cross. Like it, it gives you the moment, you know what, your kid's not being divorced, even though they think they're being divorced, they're just being broken up with. So then how do you push them back to a place where you can say, hey, I know this wasn't fun. I know this was bad, but let's see what, what your value is. Let's see what Christ says. That's a, when the stakes, it's like, it feels like the stakes are incredibly high, but when the stakes aren't so high, but they feel that big, it's this perfect revolution, like this circular situation where parents and student pastors can constantly speak life into and reset uh, students over and over and what they're learning, if that makes sense. It does. It does. There's just a place where it means a, it means a massive amount. To, it meant a lot to me. Like as a student, when I had Kurt, uh, one, when I didn't feel like I could go to my parents because of something that I look back now, and it was like even in college, like I had, I was a, trans, uh, a transplant student, or tra- a student that drove back and forth. And I missed too many chapels at my college. And so I was, they were like, you might be suspended. Well, when you get that as a college student, you're like, oh my gosh. And when I met, they were like, that's no big deal. It's most students have a hard time. It was because I missed like the first five minutes of chapel because I got caught in traffic too many times. And so all of that to say, I went to Kurt, even at 18 years old, I went to Kurt and I said, Kurt, I, I said, I don't know what to say. And and in that moment, that was not a very big thing, but it was, for me, it was earth shattering. And for him, it was a moment to help instruct me. And so when I went to my dad, um, it made everything so much better. 
Well, reaching out to students is is vitally important. We know that they are at a pivotal point in their life. There's a lot of different things that they are going through. And as you mentioned, it's the end of the world or the biggest thing in the world every single time. But it is it's a joy. Uh, to work with students, and there's just a great need for us to reach out to them. So, uh, let's let's start with that. What are some ways that we can develop ideas or find out what we need to do to reach out to these students? Yeah, absolutely. So, when you told me about this subject and, and the idea of talking through it, is incredibly exciting. A couple of things that you kind of kick off to preface it is one: uh, I, I'm a huge believer. In everything that I do, whether it's outreach, creative outreach and investment and, and essentially what we're doing based on even what we've been talking about is that we're creating relationships because students are, I think it's, I can't, I think it's in the 90% range, less likely to give their lives to Christ once they hit 18 yeah. and they go past. Yeah. And so we know there's a clock on it, but building that we're not, we're in a culture that's so connected, we're not connected to anything. And so this, this idea of how do we build relationships and I think there's a couple of things to hit. One, I think that everything we do has to be principled. I think the majority of arguments that we have in ministry, the majority of churches that get into into and have problems are because they confuse methods and principles. And so my my dad had this way when we were growing up of speaking in, in limericks to us. And it was great because it was kind of mnemonic. Um, but he would always tell us methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change, principles never do. And that stuck with me as a kid. It stuck with me in college and, and in ministry, and it has never led me wrong. And for for the simple fact that I think a, a, we could do a whole podcast on applying that idea of let's focus on the principles of what we're doing rather than the methods. Um, because when we confuse those methods, it's one of those things where, I mean, I was at a church at one time, incredibly unhealthy student ministry. We were stepping in to make it healthy, and I had leaders who had been there for 25 years, and they said, why aren't we doing this event from 25 years ago? And I went, because it's 25 years. Do you, do, you, do you work on a computer that's 25 years old? No, nobody wants to do your hayride from 25 years ago. They've all decided it's terrible. And, and it's not, now granted, I'm not against hayrides, but there they did not like them. And so, but it was this constant fight and it wasn't over the principle of reaching kids. It was always over the methods of what they had done in the past. And and there was a lot of work to be done. And so I, I think along with that, I also think the word creativity is somewhat of a curse word with us. Um, it's, it's scary. When you say creative, it, it means that you're a person, it's a personality type. And I, I think that probably 90% of ministry creativity is, is need-based and it's problem solving. And that makes it a lot less of a, of an issue than trying to say, well, how can I do the coolest thing? Right. Right. Uh, cre- Creativity is, you know, it's the idea of the invention, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. I think for us, need is is the mother of creativity in ministry. And so I think the first statement when you're thinking about creative ideas to reach your kids, I don't, I'm not saying don't ever do it, but I think I've had the most fruitless meetings in my ministry saying, what's a really cool thing we can do to reach students? <laughs> like some of the worst ministry ideas ever, especially for student ministry, were born out of that question. Like what's something yeah. so cool, and uh, and so I'm pretty sure a lot of student pastors have lost their jobs over that, and and so for for us here's here's kind of how I look at it when we look at this idea of how do we develop, and I'll give some ideas on methods and what I've done in the past, um, but I, I look at three different things: find, engage, connect. Those and outside of me explaining them, that's not very helpful. But in in Matthew nine, we all know the passage uh, thirty five through thirty eight. It says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers uh, into the harvest. And we, we've heard that, and, I, and if you can look at it, afresh with me for a minute. I see three major principles that have guided over the last in, in student ministries of 500 to student ministries of literally five. I've done, done them all and been in there. And these principles have not run me wrong because when we look at Jesus, we see the idea that he finds people, then he engages with them, and then he connects them. 
and so, and connects with them. And so this idea of, of finding, you've got to have eyes to see the needs that are around you. Um, and, and they don't, it's just funny for us how many of those things we miss because I think Jim Elliott was very right when he says, wherever you are, be all there. And, and everything is pulling on us all the time. And so when Jesus went through these cities and villages, he was teaching and he was proclaiming um, and he was excited. But then it also says he would he saw people and he'd heal their afflictions. That was a felt need. That wasn't their real need, but he would heal their felt need. And then, then he noticed and he had this compassion because it was very easy to move through and do his thing and move on. But it, he took a minute and it struck him that the people were helpless, that they were harassed and that they were... They needed someone to be with them. And so just the fact that of having eyes to see needs is a huge deal. Are we paying attention to the needs that we see? Um, one incre- like one option for this, so this works on about every level, I think, principally. Uh, I stepped into, into this ministry I mentioned before. It was incredibly unhealthy. It was incredibly cliquish. Um, I've always been a big advocate that I don't go after the popular kids. Um, and that's not because I don't want to save them. I'm not excluding them, but I go after the unpopular people because that's 95% of people. And so if I can just love the unpopular, that's what Jesus did. And so I'm, I'm always trying to be very aware of who's alone, who's by themselves. When I would walk in, I teach leaders the same thing. If you see somebody standing by themselves, that's God showing you that you need to be with that person and that kid. And that's not, and, and I'd say if you've got, if kids and friends are having a good time, that means they're not alone. Let's help train them next, but go to those people. Well, I started noticing that this they had segmented this big student building off into really small couch areas where it was all built to, to house cliquish people. And I just noticed over about my first two months there, this is not good. Like I'd see kids alone. I'd see kids sectioned off. And so I thought, how do we, how do we, not only do we find this, but how do we engage with them in a good way? So we did something as simple uh, and it maybe it seems creative, maybe it doesn't, but everybody else is blown away by it. And it, so it's pretty amazing. You're usually about as brilliant as the idea that nobody had like <laughs> in your area. So it really should give you a lot of excitement. I'm not, I'm not, a, if it was required being a really smart person, uh, I would not be the person on the podcast. And so, but part of it was just, we would, we opened up all of the seating areas. They all flowed into each other. They were all open. And I remember having a kid walk in that first day and, and he went, I like this. This is good. And and we started kind of reversing this idea to welcome people. The way that we would engage people is we we would make sure that we were there connecting and investing in them. Um, and then we did it. The whole idea of connecting is that we do it consistently. And so Jesus, the whole idea, I think, with Jesus is in this passage is, you know, I not only am I seeing people, but I'm engaging with these people. And then I'm telling you, pray for workers that will go in and consistently be working in this harvest. The problems and the issues are there. The people are there. And so when we, when we're finding things, when you see a problem, rather than being discouraged, being able to see a problem is a gift. That's, that is a gift that we misunderstand. That's, that's the opportunity for us to be able to say, I see something that I can work on. And and you have to triage those problems. Um, But if you begin to see issues, be listening to what your students say, hear what your leaders are saying, because usually the needs that we want to meet are not the needs that God has for us to meet. And so um, when we, you know, one, and I'll explain kind of how all these three can work together in some, some other, other context, but I think that your, your ability to see those needs is definitely is a gift from God. And so being open to hear and to find those things, but, you know, Jesus saw the crowds, he cared about them. So, and then in the engaging ideas, you've got to have the encourage to, the encourage to engage the problems where you're at. But the problem that usually is that we're only willing to go and meet the problems that we really want to meet, right? And so one great example of this for, for me was I'm a huge advocate of school, school campus ministry and not in, and I'm great with FCA, but I don't need to go in and be the FCA guy. I don't need to go in and be the Young Life guy or the whatever guy. Those, those there are people that do that. I'm honored to come and speak or to partner with, but I wanted to be in school campuses. Like I wanted to be in lunches. I wanted to be where it was really visible with kids. Now, not every place allows you to do that. But one of the things that we noticed was that there were, I mean, there were three high schools in the area that I was in and two of them were closed to pastors and anybody coming in. And by the time I left all three of them, we spent about 20 hours a week as a staff of team of three. 
And it was funny because the way that I'd always get into that, you have to understand the difference between a felt need and a real need. So when you see Jesus healing somebody physically, he's healing them physically to show them their needs spiritually. So he's willing to go through the felt need in order to get to the real need. Um, when we look at how we find and engage things that I would always see, there's a couple things I noticed. One, one of those three schools had an open invitation to pastors to always come to school and to always be there. Do you know how many pastors came to that school? Zero, except for me. And that's not because I was amazing. That's because I saw a need and I just went for it. It is not. I actually like school lunch periods. I would have pastors tell me I was crazy. And they'd go, that's ridiculous. Why would you ever want to be there? I was like, why would you not? Like, that's the that's the place, man. And I would go and sit down for a whole hour. There were three lunch periods. I would sit down once a week for an hour. and I'd find new kids to talk to every 20 minutes. And I would talk to the friends of the kids I already had. And at, I mean, you talk about we went from about 30 kids to about 300 kids in less than a year. And it's not necessarily about the numbers, right? But it's about the idea of getting those kids in discipleship and in worship. And we saw that grow because kids got to know who we were and we were valuable to them. Also, I never talked to him about coming to church. I just I just sat down with him and, and invested in him and talked with the kids I knew. And that was a big deal. But but how I got there, that was the crazy part. Um, did you ever do you ever remember years ago, my big fat Greek wedding? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in my big fat Greek wedding, uh, I remember that the mom said she goes, you know, the husband is the head, but the wife's the neck. And wherever she turns the head, turns the head goes. And uh, and I, when I stepped in, I had a dad who was who sold uh, equipment for himself for years, and I would he was a relational salesman. And I kind of got this feeling for the fact that the ladies and the men and women that set up front at the in the support positions, those are the neck. And if you're trying to get to the head, some guys are all about if they get seen with the principal, if they get seen with the big dogs, if they get seen wherever. I don't care. What I cared about was if I was making those people that oil all the gears, if I was letting them know how loved and necessary they were. So I would start, I'd bring Chick-fil-A for those, those ladies. I'd bring flowers for them. I would talk with them. I'd get to know them. And then very quickly within maybe two or three visits, I'd be sitting in the principal's office being able to talk with them. And then my question to the principal was not, hey, I've got this really cool idea. We could start the Cool Jesus Bible Club. And then I think that we could reach 100 kids. But could we do that on your... Like that would be, that's me trying to meet a need they don't have. What I right, would ask right. is, I would, I would ask the question, what's the one thing that nobody will do for you that we can do for you? Mm. And because I figured out that if you're meeting the need that everybody else is meeting, then you're not meeting a need. You're right. just hanging out with everybody. And so if we want to be able to do things that nobody else gets to do, we've got to be willing to do the things that nobody else is going to do. And so I, I, a crazy thing was this, this closed high school, um, that it was closed for a little while, I go and sit down and I said, what, what can I do for you? And, and I, if I'm making myself sound like I did everything right, I just learned from a lot of mistakes other people made. And I'm not telling you about all my mistakes. I'm just telling you about what worked. <laughs> um, but, but that's I, a really I, long I, podcast. If we keep going <laughs> with those, <laughs> that, that's hundred percent. And so, so I sit down and I just said, what can I do for you? Because I wanted to be in a school lunches. I want every, I knew where I wanted to be and what I wanted to be doing. That was the real need. But his felt need was we've got a we've got a staff and teacher uh, barbecue on the first football game of the of the night and nobody we don't have the budget to cover it it costs about four or five hundred dollars we just need somebody to do that and to bring the people to grill for it so we can make our teachers feel loved and I said done I'll do it right now and I put that in my budget and I have a master class with our network that we do about how you budget uh, it's going to be coming out in January but how how do you missionally budget but part mm -hmm. of my most of my budget went toward meeting needs like that, not marketing, not other stuff, but how do you meet needs? And so we set up, I just said, okay. And we went and grilled out for him. And I kid you not two weeks into trying to get into the school, the AD gets me, picks me up and said in front of everybody and goes, we're going to, Ian's like the chaplain of Northgate. We're going to have him pray for everybody and take care of, and just pray <laughs> over this whole thing. And I was like, I don't know if I, I was like, please don't cuss when I pray. Just, I'm just really excited. <laughs> and, and, and I remember praying uh, being able to pray over these leaders. And, and that was the beginning of a moment that absolutely uh, changed how we connected with that high school. There was another high school that we got into and I would, I was just connecting with the principal. I had gotten to that point and I just, there was pretty much no way we were going to get to go to lunches here. And that principal goes, I don't know if we can let anybody in, but you know, I really loved preaching 
when I was a student, I was a student pastor for a little while, I loved preaching. And I looked out and I was talking with one of the guys I worked with and I said, why don't we invite him in as a guest preacher? And we end up doing, and I'm telling you, and that's not the one pivotal thing, but this idea that you, you find a need and you see that he really, his need is I want to preach. And so we put him on our stage. He preached a great, albeit slightly shallow message. And when he preached it, though, I remember very quickly within that time, he said, you know, I, I guess we could let you come in and try it out going to lunches once or twice. By the end of it, we were doing T-shirt giveaways at his school. We were doing all kinds of stuff. And the idea was if I could just find a need that was important to him and important to that school itself and be willing to engage it the same way that Jesus would do that with others and to show them that we loved him, eventually I would get to my needs. Zig Ziglar said it best. If, if you help enough people get what they want, you're going to get what you want. And, and so that was how we did it. But the problem is a lot of guys stop right there. They do the barbecue and that's it. They do a, you know, another event and that's it. So the idea of connecting and that find, engage, connect is that you got to do it consistently. People will forgive mistakes and issues. They will not forgive inconsistency. And so when you can't just show up every, every couple of months and say whatever and do this. So what we did was before we stepped into a situation, I looked at, I had a team of interns and we said, can we factor in and actually do this consistently and do it well that we're connecting and taking care of this group. And we, and we did a good job of it. My interns did a really good job of it. And so we made sure what we could do, we built that and we engaged with them, but then we built that connection. And so, you know, a couple of, a couple of ideas that sprung out of this, that doesn't mean that you can't have a really good idea and it be separate from seeing these needs. But a couple of things that we did principally is we did, and we've done this, I've done this everywhere I've done ministry. We did what are called coffee carts. Um, I bought a, I bought a big rolling cart. Probably most churches, uh, if you can be real sweet, to the admin that runs your church, uh, you can borrow theirs. But it's one of those big plastic carts, right? Uh, just buy them some flowers. But we would we would wake up at 6 a.m. I would ask, can we do this before class starts and into first period, or can when when would it be available for you? And uh, and we would set up this big cart, and we would just brew coffee at 6 a.m. And we or or you can buy it, but it was cheaper to brew it. So we'd brew coffee, put it in air pots, and we'd have 10 air pots laid out on this thing, and we'd have I, you always wanted to be extravagant. So we had five or six different types of creamers. We had a hot water one with tea and we would go up and down every hallway um, in the school and we'd knock on the door and interrupt teachers, which they normally hate until you go, we got free coffee out here and we've got tea and man, what can I get? We got muffins. What can I get you? And, and they'd go, oh my gosh, I'd love a chocolate muffin and I'd love this and that. <laughs> and the beautiful thing was I would, I'd say, well, you stay in your classroom, we're going to do it. And it was three or four of us and we would make it out. We'd make their coffee for them and we would walk that out and I'd walk it up to them in the class. And I got to see all my kids and my kids saw me serving mm. their teachers. And those teachers, we were heroes to those teachers only because we just wanted to make sure they felt loved because they don't. And you know, if you've got a tight budget, Coffee's not that expensive if you brew it. And so we did we did cheap stuff, but it was the gesture of what we did and how we did it. And so we would make that a regular. We do that once or twice a semester with coffee carts. Um, one really fun thing, it required a little bit of budget money, but the coffee cart idea wasn't as appealing to them and we wanted to make a splash. And so we bought, in this day and age, um, I had a couple of pastors reach out to me about how to do it and I shared it with them. It's, it's theirs to use. But we created non-Christian... Christian boxes for teachers. We call them teacher boxes. And we took, we took Christians um, and we put Christian quotes on cards, but they weren't, it was by C.S. Lewis or, or by, you know, Anne Frank or something about, about the importance of a teacher. Um, right. And we knew that our teachers were struggling. And then our kids, our students, we wanted them to be a part of the process. And so we had every student, we said, will you write cards and pretend that every teacher you're writing to is your favorite teacher? Tell them how much you love them, how necessary they are. And so the Sunday before we did this, these students wrote handwritten cards. We put them together. Um, and then we went to four high schools. And we stat what we did is we knew that all there's a lot of pride in these high schools. Uh, most of the time there is, but sometimes there's not. So this, <laughs> this isn't as important. But we, we ended up taking these teacher boxes and we'd fill them with the, just with the tissue paper of their school. We had a fun gift. It was a cup with, with our student ministry logo on it. And then we had these cards that they could leave on their desk that had our logo. And then on the other side, it was a quote about how necessary they were as teachers. And I had, I straight up had other, we, and we did the coffee thing. We'd hand out coffee, but we had another cart behind us just full of these, these boxes. And boxes are a lot cheaper to print now in the last few years since COVID, 
that whole idea of non-touch stuff has gotten really cheap. And so we would, we printed these, these up, had them, and we would just hand out these gifts like Halloween candy. And we had, I had teachers behind us in the entire special ed program that he ran got behind us and then they started handing out our stuff. <laughs> I mean, in the whole, on the top of the box, it just said teachers matter and, or uh, it said you matter. And, and so whether it was a teacher or a staff member and we would do those things and we would invest in the campus in a really big way. But we saw the need for, I would hear people say like, uh, the administrators would say the vice principals, the principals, I just want to find a way to make our, our people feel loved. And they were great leaders for that. And so we said, well, well, what if we were to give them a gift? And again, I didn't sit down and go, what's the coolest thing I could ever do to be really important in this community? I just went, what do you need? And they said, we just want our teachers to feel loved. I said, what if we do coffee and muffins and we build a box for them that lets them know we love them? And they said, oh, we'd love that. And, and so that, you know, it's not all just school ministry. Um, when I was a college pastor, I started here. I was in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I'm a Razorback fan, so I prayed really hard for him. Um, and I'm just, <laughs> just praying God, he brings salvation and, and retribution all at the same time. Yes, all at the same time. <laughs> Go <hogs>. So, <laughs> whoop pig. So, uh, but yeah, that was a really fun thing once, uh, once a year for my kids to go, <laughs> Arkansas is going to lose. And so, but we, uh, but I, I remember one of the biggest things I ever did was, um, at least numbers wise and picking up is I remember they had a dead week where you studied. And then they had after that, a, uh, finals week. And so one of the things that I, you know, I noticed all the kids talked about it and nobody ever, I don't know why nobody didn't think about this, but you had to have an ear to hear it. And these students said, there's nowhere to study. Like I cannot find a place to study other than my room. And it's so hard. And I just wish that I had quiet places to study. So pray for us. There's 50,000 people on campus in like 12 rooms. There's just no way we can get these, get time. And I went, we were, we were decently, new church. There weren't any pews. We met, you know, and, and had big open rooms. And I said, I went to my pastor and I just said, can I, can I have the room and for four days, you know, for, for eight days essentially. And he said, yeah, sure. What are you going to do? And I said, I want to, I want to put tables, round tables in this room. I want to play deep focus music from Spotify real low. I want to put heaters under the tables for all the girls that come in there and go, it's so cold. And I said, and I want our church, can our church bring can they just bring candy and snacks and food and we'll set up a huge table and then we'll just cook dinner for them every night. We'll cook dinner until we don't have dinner anymore. And he said, are, are you sure that you think that'll work? I said, I think it's going to work. And I said, but I don't know. We're just, all we can do is try it and fail. That's part of the, the finding gauge connect that doesn't work. Just be okay to fail. Failure is not a yeah. person. It's just an yeah. event. If you, if it doesn't work, the market's going to tell you if it works or not, just move on. But we sat down and this was, absolutely turned into, uh, we ended up, we went from maybe feeding a hundred, 200 meals our first time doing it, that by the next year we had 800 students over two weeks come in and out. And they, and we said, we're going to open up from 6 PM to 12 AM and we're going to give you six hours. And all I did was set, take care of kids, pick up trash from them, tell them we loved them. By the end of it, we had kids asking if we could take these Sunday school rooms and make them into study rooms. And I said, why not? I didn't even ask anybody at that point. And they would like fight over the rooms. And so, you know, it's, it really is your ability to be creative has nothing to do with how smart you think you are, or how, if you're a graphic designer or a musician, it has everything to do with just, just listening to the needs around you and just being willing to meet them. And honestly, none of the ideas I'm telling you, coffee carts, boxes, none of that stuff was the final version. The first time we did it, it took a lot. I mean, we just did it the best we could the first time. And then we said, we were, we looked back and we said, how can we make it better? What do we need to not do? What is better? And we just continued to do our best to improve it. And so every, everything that you do has, it can be, and it's gotta be scalable. Um, and, and it can be, so there's very few things that aren't. So when you look at it principally, you know, you don't have to be, you don't have to be the richest. I did a lot of this stuff on a budget, a very small budget. Um, and, and then I did things on big budgets and, but I found out I could do the same stuff and have the same impact. It just had a lot to do with that. And, and you've got a lot of bivocational pastors that go, well, I can't go to lunch. Well, hey, that's fine. I know you can't go to lunch. How can you show up at students games, you know, once a yeah. month or, yeah. or every week, or can you get other leaders that can go to lunches too? I, d I did those kind of things. And so your, your creativity has far less to do with your personality and just, and so much more to do with, are you willing to find and see the needs? Are you willing to have the courage or the time or just the, 
the moment the creativity to sit down and say, I'm going to engage it. Like the, that's, that's where creativity comes in. I'll engage it with you. And then you're like, well, crap, I've got to engage it. What do I do now? And, and then you just find a way. <laughs> yeah. And then your consistency and your connection in doing that. And I mean, there, we could, I know we could talk, I probably gone over time. We could talk for hours, but um, I know my info is in your blog, but I'm, I'm always available for free. If somebody wants to call and ask questions as part of the network that we have and what we do. So if there's, if there's anything I can do or help think through it, I don't know if I have your idea for your context, but I would love to be a sounding board for anybody that's listening to this and, and, and help in any way that I can. Ian, I love those three principles. Repeat them for us. Find, engage, and connect out of Matthew 9, 35 through 38. You know, they're simple, but it's stuff we don't do. We, we try to come up with the coolest idea. We try to think, okay, I've just got to do this because they did that. And I'll tell you, looking for those things and then engaging them, um, for me, it worked where I was involved with uh, the Harbor Band uh, as oh, a band yeah. booster. And I used some photography oh, skills and I got to interact with students and be up in the bandstands where no other parent was ever allowed because I did that job that they needed. They needed somebody taking pictures. And um, so again, find, engage, and connect. And then, you know, be consistent with that. Um, I love that piece. Boy, it's easy for us to do one thing really well and then forget about it. Well, Ian, I appreciate you being on the podcast today. Um, we've we've shared a lot. I know that you're involved with G6 Allies. It, just in a sentence or two, tell us a little bit about that. Um, so G6 Allies is, we are dedicated to seeing pastors live um, healthy across the board in their lives. We, and most pastors are not very healthy, whether it's spiritual, emotional, physical, all of those things. Yeah. Um, and so we, we are dedicated to um, helping pastors grow. And we have a network we're launching in January that'll actually be um, a large hub. Um, I'm hoping at one point we can work with Student Ministry Matters on it, that we can help get pastors not only in their own networks, but to become a network of networks where there's individuals like you and I that are there to help people all over the country um, and then be able to share burdens. So G6 Allies just means Galatians 6-2. And every, the question we ask ourselves before everything we do is, does this help shoulder the burden of a pastor or their wife or their family? And so you can, you can find more info about us on g6allies.com or, or growboxteams.com. Again, thank you, Ian, so much for being on the podcast. It's an honor. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. I'm, I'm very excited to, to partner with you all and help you any way I can. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today as we've talked about um, developing some creative outreach ideas. And Ian has given us some uh, great principles for us to apply to no matter what size of community or school or church you're at. And so I'd encourage you to check out some of those things that he makes available. Um, we'll have some contact info in our show notes so that you'll be able to do that. And then just be sure to pray for G6 Allies. Uh, check it out for yourself and pray for pray for Ian, his ministry, as he serves in his local church and uh, with G6 Allies. Listeners, again, thank you so much for joining us today in this conversation. And we just want to keep going because student ministry matters. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.